3: on the way on the way to the big check you ain't know i'm up next when i'm on the way you ain't take a risk because you're too afraid i'ma just eat till i'm overweight on the way on the way what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the millionaire mindsets podcast i'm your host xavier center with my co-host d hey
1: everybody
3: and today we have a super, super, super dope guest. This will be another valuable, I- informal episode. And his name is Christopher Senegal. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's a real estate developer. And he's also an entrepreneur coach. And we super glad to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, bro. Thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, bro. Definitely, definitely, man. And just, just to get it right into it, the first question we always ask our guests, because we see and we know you're doing a lot of dope things, but for the people who are not familiar with you, like, what was the start? And give us a little background on yourself. All right, so I went to college for engineering. I'm, like, on a full scholarship,
0: guaranteed corporate job when I graduated. I when I graduated in like 2007, I hated it. I was like, man, I feel like I've been sold a dream. So, for me, it was like, I, mean, I got to figure out how to get out of this. So, I started off trying to do stock trading. But, you know, 2008, 2009 is when the market was real crazy. So, you couldn't really do anything. And um, I bought a house when I graduated college in you know, Memphis. <laughs> and I wanted to move back closer to home. Couldn't sell the house. And so, I had a property manager uh, basically lease it out for me. And then, that's when I realized I had passive income coming from that property. Mm. So, from then, it was just like my focus to shifted to all real estate you know? so since two thousand. Uh, eight, uh had that first rental.
3: I lived my first house in two thousand nine, I've been doing it ever since. Wow. So you just uh and you were you was was you like a full time entrepreneur at that time, that first deal?
0: No, nah, uh, I worked I didn't leave my corporate job till two thousand fifteen. Mm. But I had got out of engineering and I just I figured if I'm a stay, uh I can I can use that W two income to uh you know get get more leverage, get more loans for my rental properties and stuff. So I did that. And I got out of engineering and just started working in other departments that I felt like would help me. So I did operations where I like managing people, uh, running freight terminals. And then I did uh, sales and marketing and uh, industrial supply chain uh, and business development. So all that stuff kind of helped me, you know, kind of basically get another level of education without having to go back to school for just learning the corporate
3: environment. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you said you didn't leave to to 2015. So what, Uh uh, so what like gave you the confidence or what? How did you know it was time for you to leave? Man, so I had built up enough income
0: um, from the real estate, from the rental properties, and from the flips. Well, I was I was doing well, and I basically matched my corporate income um, over the, what was that five, six years. Uh, and then I just had an incident at work where one of my, like an AVP tried to throw me under the bus for something that wasn't my fault. And it was like an easy decision at that point. It's like, man, <laughs> I've replaced my income already. Um, and, you know, it just kind of opened my eyes that no matter how good of a job you do, how well you perform, how well you communicate, somebody can throw you under the bus in a
1: corporate job for any reason. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was like, man, my time is more valuable for me now
0: uh to try to double my income uh, from the real estate stuff, from the you know, entrepreneurship stuff versus staying here and waiting to get a raise or waiting to get a promotion. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm that's yeah, very interesting because the people all, I, I often have a conversation when people be like man how do I know when it's time for me to leave my job and I'm like yeah. "Replace, try to replace that income first mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely you know I tell people to cut your cost of living as low as possible right. you know
0: what I mean and have, have enough saved up where you feel comfortable even if the business you know goes to zero for a month or two you know you'll be able to uh, use that pull on that reserve money you know what I mean it's be able to live off of it while you try to get more revenue to come back into your business
3: Mm, yeah, that, that, that's real. And uh, let's say I want to uh, touch on like for first time and so for people that want to get into real estate. What do you think is the best or ideal situation for anybody that's a that's a first time investor and they looking for uh, a specific deals? Because I always I always say like uh, house hacking. I would aim to do that mm. if I was a first time yeah. investor. What do you think? I
0: think that's good. So you got three groups of people, right? You got somebody that, that probably don't have any money. Probably don't have good credit either. I think wholesaling is the best way for them to get into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not getting into wholesaling to try to get rich, but getting in to find deals, make some money, and network with investors because you know I think it's more important. A lot of wholesalers are the firm investors that trying to maximize the profit out of the deal. Whereas if, if you consistently bring somebody good deals, well you're making good money and investors make good money. You you establish a good relationship with that investor. And an investor will basically can take you under their wing and show you how to do the next step, which is flipping the houses, connect you with their resources for contractors, for lending, for all that kind of stuff. I think that's one good way to get into it. House hacking is definitely another good way to get into it if you if you want to be on the rental side. um, It, it definitely cuts your cost of living down. Um, and, you know, if the, the two rents or the other rent can cover the full mortgage payment, that's great. If you have a little bit of profit, that's even better. And then the third way is like the people that do have the corporate jobs that have money but just don't have the time. Well, not just corporate, gonna be a, be a working professional, it could be anybody that has decent money. If you can save, take some of that money and just invest it with an investor, that's going to keep you exposed to the project while they're using your money. Right. So I think those are three, three ways you can really get in the game. Um, and, but I think the key to all of them is to be around people that are already doing it and not try to figure out on your
3: own. Yeah. Mm, mm, like- I, I like that, because uh, I, I don't remember who I heard say this recently. They was like, there's nothing wrong with, uh, like, riding the coattails of an investor. They said sometimes you, when you hear that term riding coattails, it sounds bad. But he was like, I wish I could have rolled the coattails of Jeff Bezos oh, when he yeah. got <laughs> an Amazon or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Having a mentor, man. Having somebody
0: that's already done trying to do this, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's key. I always tell you, you know, it's like the little saying, it's okay to be a copycat, copying the right cat. Mm. You know what I mean? So you got you to be in circles with the right
3: people. mm that's dope. That's dope. And something that I, yes. that I that I seen you uh talk about on your Instagram, you you said it was super dope to me. I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about this. You said four door, <laughs> you said uh, four door coupes paid by four door deals, and I'm like, oh, that's fly. Yes. I, I like that fly talk. But I'm like, can you say your assets should pay for your liabilities? And like, this is a conversation yes. I love to have, and I, and I really kind of yes. stress it because I I like sometimes I think people don't fully understand it. So do you mind like right. diving into that a, a little bit? Yeah,
0: man. So, you know, when when, when you buy an asset, you, you're actually buying something that's going to make money for you. Right. And versus when you buy a liability, you're buying something that whatever money you just put into it, you, you probably lose that money the second you, you, you put it in. So if the, like a, a car, like if you got to put 5000 down, but the second you drive up a lot it loses $10,000 in value, and you lost that money instantly, right? Or if you take that $5,000, you're put it all down payment on the house, you know, 3% FHA loan or something. And then that, that house now makes say say you, you get four or five hundred bucks a month of profit. You go buy a car, and the profit from that rental property will actually pay for the car note every month, on top of the value increasing of the asset that you bought. Uh, and so that, that's how we should think about things because like I said, when, when you sink money into something that's not gonna make you any money, uh you lose you you lose all that effort that you put into to earn that money. Basically, you're saying this is what it's worked to me. It's worked it to me to go buy this. And I know immediately after I buy it, that, that, what, 80, 120 hours it took me to earn this money is now plus the toilet just because
3: I want this this thing that's not going to have even as much value as when I buy it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's that's, that's real, because uh, like, we, yeah. we, 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 us two, we always talk about that. We like, man, we just want anything we do, vacations, all that, we just going to let our assets pay for that. We, 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 we just, there you, go. And you know what I'm saying? Our time, we didn't. Put money, you know what I'm saying? Hard earning money to pay for that things.
0: Exactly, yeah, man. But the money that worked for you before, you know, before you got to continue to work
3: for it. Mm-hmm. That's that's facts. And uh, like we also know that you're a real estate developer, and that's a, that's a uh, thing that I know a lot of people want to get involved in. So, how does someone become a real estate developer?
0: So okay, so the process of developing real estate is basically taking something from the conceptual stage uh, all the way through to the, the construction stage, right? So a builder is somebody that steps in after the developer has done their part. But the developers, when one that comes in. either identifies a site that's got old buildings on it, comes up with a plan to, uh, to change what's there, which means demolishing everything and starting over, or you buy raw land, and then you come in and you develop the site plan. You, know, you divide up the lots. You, divide up, you determine the full use for the entire property, and then you bring in all the infrastructure that comes with it. So that, that means you got to get engineers, architects, and uh, planners to help you uh, decide. You know how big a parking lot is. And, you know how how stable is the ground underneath that that, that you have to put the concrete on. Um, then you got to bring in all the infrastructure. What's the you know what's the drainage plan for the property? Uh, how many how much utilities you have to bring in? You know as far as electricity, as far as plumbing, all that stuff. Uh, right of ways for streets, uh, curbs, gutters. That's what a developer does. So some developers will do that step and then they'll just sell the lots to a builder company. Mm. And the builder actually comes in and the builder does the vertical construction. Um, but what I'm doing, my project is I'm, I'm carrying it all the way through. So I just I actually hired a builder to build for me uh, for this project. So they're actually you know, just basically like, like a general contract. Mm.
1: So for like a project yeah. from where you start from the ground up, how long does it typically take for you to get through that project?
0: So yeah, if you're starting from scratch, it's, you, 18 months is a comfortable number to say, that's what it's gonna take from time to start to the time you can actually start building vertically, because um, you know, the city has to approve all of your site plans first, and then they have to go back and approve whatever you plan to build on that site. So yeah, but the key to development is always controlling the land first, mm. because you that, especially if you're gonna try to go get leverage, uh, like get a loan for the vertical construction, you have to own the land outright, or have it with no debt on it because that's the only way the bank is going to lend to you for the project. Uh, and really even for like to even entertain the architect, the engineer or somebody like that, uh, they're going to require retainers, they're going to provide fees. And so you don't want to start working on all this stuff, planning it. And you don't really have site control because you know, it didn't have to that land. Somebody can buy it. Um, this owner could decide not to sell and now you invested all this money in these soft costs that don't really have a tangible value unless you actually own and have control of that land. Um, other, another creative way to do it would be the JV with somebody that owns the land so that they can put it in as equity without, you know, being able to buy from it and the mm.
1: right. So, like, for for you throughout your real estate journey, when did you get to the developer stage? Like, because you started off with um, doing a rental property and then you say you needed yeah. to fix and flips? So, like, like, what got you up to that point where you were like, I'm going to do this?
0: So, man, you know, this deal kind of just fell in my lap, really, because um, 2013, uh, I was able to owner-finance this whole block of property, and it had like, a grocery store and some houses on it. Uh, I just, at that time, this area, there was no activity over here, so it was kind of like one of those areas nobody was really buying in, but the owner had actually inherited it from his dad, and so he didn't have any debt on it, and so um, he was just tired of being a landlord. He was like early 60s. Uh, I mean, late 60s, early 70s. And, um, yeah, I just negotiated a deal with him to buy it for like a, like 450000 gave it 10% down. And since I had houses on and everything already, I was able just to use the rent revenue from that to pay the mortgage payment. Um, and then by 2016, uh, I, the activity started over here with revitalization. People are redeveloping and building construction. So that's when I decided, well, since I own the land, um, I should just try to make it my first uh, development project. And so I kind of took a break from flipping and rentals just to kind of focus on this because I knew, you know, it's gonna take time. It's gonna take me um, investing a lot of money into it, but on the back end, I really wouldn't miss any revenue because if I was flipping say three or four houses a year, but it takes me two years to do this project, and I'm building 14 townhomes, at the end of three years, you know, I would have, I wouldn't have missed a penny of profit, and I would have put myself in a bigger arena to do bigger things. So okay. yeah, it wasn't like I had a strategic plan. For
1: you
3: know, it all kept the, the things kind of fell in place. Okay, I feel okay. Like. Yeah. So, I wanted to uh, talk about because I feel like being a real estate developer, you—that's that's something that uh, we need in the community, especially when we have the, the topic of gentrifying neighborhoods. Yeah. And so, but before we uh, like dive into that, what do, what is your thoughts on gentrification? Because a lot of times people have like a bad connotation on it, but from my point of view. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing, especially all the time, every time. You know what I mean? So I just yeah. want to just get your thoughts on that first.
0: So gentrification is basically the revitalization of a neighborhood. Right. Usually the reason why it feels so negative to us is because we aren't the ones actually doing a revitalization. It's somebody else coming in and doing it, taking advantage of the opportunity that, that they see. And usually what they're doing is they're not really focused on the existing community that's there, Right. They're focused on it's a business for them, so they're focused on making things as, as profitable as possible. So when a builder when a builder comes in in a neighborhood like like this neighborhood, like a uh, predominantly impoverished black neighborhood, and they buy a property, uh, they're going to build and they're going to try to get the maximum price point they can for the product. They're trying to maximize their profitability. Usually, what that means is whatever they build, it, the people from the community can't afford it. Right? Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing um, it's just capitalism and what we have to learn to do is participate right so that's what I'm doing here it's like okay well I control this block let me rebuild and let me choose the price point so my price point is under 300 thousand which is the same price of all the homes in the suburbs in Houston right so all the, the black working professionals all of them buy out the suburbs because there, there is no product in the city that's up to their their living standard and at and at a price point that they can afford with a corporate job, you know, making 80, 90 grand a year as a family or whatever. Um, so it, it's just a way we just have to learn how to participate in that process because it just is everything has a lifestyle life cycle, including a neighborhood, and, and you know, real estate. Um, if we just continue to not want to touch our neighborhoods because of what it used to be or who's left there and who didn't make it out, then we leave a lot of them for the people come do it so what we do is participate in the process and what that also does for us is now if we are the ones moving back in the neighborhood we can control what happens to the people that live here before that, that, that don't have the means to get out because now we can collectively work with city councilmen we can work with all other people to get them tax exempt so that their taxes don't go up when those other people come in the develop, they don't care they're hoping the people's taxes go up and then they lose the properties they want but we can have a vested interest in making sure that the people that the people that are here, uh, that were here, uh, are taken care of, you know. And we can't do that from the outside looking at it. We got to be participating in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other great point that comes along with us moving back is you bring that. us bringing corporate income, entrepreneur income back to the neighborhoods, changes the demographic of the neighborhood. Now we now this issue that we have the food deserts and all this other kind of stuff changes because when the grocery stores look at the neighborhoods now, they see enough income there to want to bring in a, a store or bring in other retail, bring in restaurants, bring in everything. Mm-hmm. So we just got, we got start looking at it holistically and stop being scared of it. And thinking of it as, Oh, if you're you rebuilding over there, you know, you, you, you selling out, you, you know, you, you, uh, you're you not looking out for the people that's there. That's not true.
3: Mm. And I agree. And I agree with that. That's why I wanted you to touch on it for a second, because when I, 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 yeah. I, I, I seen you speak on there on Instagram, and I'm like, this is super dope. And you was going through the steps on like how, too gentrified neighborhood. I'm like, wow, yeah. this is super dope. I had never really seen nobody yeah. break it down yeah, like that.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's another good point. Most people think when you when you gentrify or when you revitalize, you're displacing people. that's not true. Like the, the property I bought, nobody was absolutely nobody was displaced. Um, I had a rental tenants here um that I brought in that they moved out. But the other property I'm over here is either vacant lots, it's abandoned lots, it's, it's crack houses, it's all the stuff that that's that's that's
2: lighted, that's that's actually a detriment to the neighborhood that we can remove. And bring back
3: to life. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's super. That's 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 uh that's super dope to me. It's uh another uh, something else. I seen you. Spe- no, I'm gonna keep on the, the, the gentrification uh part a little bit longer. I got another. I just I just thought of another question. So like what? So like I'm trying to think of the way the word is. So hmm. So I like I di- I ideally like uh what do you think is a way. Because we always talk about uh, like prevention of gentrification from other from other communities coming to our communities and doing what they do. So, what do you think is the the preventive measures we can do to to you know what I'm saying to stop from other people to buying our communities and we doing that instead and fixing it up. I think
0: it, it just becomes an education uh, point, like it's a, it's a conversation, like what we're having now. More of these conversations need to be had when we, we understand what. It, you know what, the whole ecosystem of a neighborhood needs to, to survive. And while I think it's great that we focus on the low income stuff, we got to start focusing on bringing the market rate back to the community. Um, and that starts all the way at the bottom of the wholesaler. right? Wholesaling is huge right now. Everybody's wholesaling. Um, a lot of people that were holding out before in these neighborhoods because they saw a, a white person coming to the door asking to buy their property, they said, no, they want to sell to a black person. Then you have a black wholesaler go in there. And tell them they're a cash buyer, Mm -hmm. you know. And then the wholesale turns around and sell it to uh, an investor from another community. Or you're actually participating in gentrification. You're actually accelerating it because that owner wasn't going to sell to anybody outside of a black person. So they basically using you as a pawn in the game for you to make five or ten grand. So we got to be cognizant of that. Number one. Number two. You got to work with black uh, investors. You know, black investors that have to have the same um, mindset of, of keeping it within the
2: community too, because you know, it needs to go from a black wholesaler to a black investor.
0: Mm. Now black investors need to be working with realtors that have black buyers that are for clients. You know what I mean? Like like black retail buyers who want to live in the house or black buyers that want to own rental properties in those neighborhoods. You know, and then that way you have you have the whole system set up where you control it from the time you get the deal to the time it's sold to the end buyer, you know, we can keep it within our within our neighborhood. Um, I think that's the major key. And something else that we could start doing, as some the start doing too, is the older the people that inherit properties or have property neighborhoods and don't know what to do with them but don't want to sell. We just gotta figure out a way to start partnering with them. Like you do the joint ventures on their houses where we tell them you put the house into the deal as equity, I'll bring the money for the for the flip or the money for the new construction and the design work and then your family will still own a percentage of the, the asset once it's done. You know? But it's all kind of creative ways like that that we can do to keep
3: stuff from going out of the community. Mm, mm, that, that, that's powerful info right there. And yeah. Another another thing I seen you touch on was, and I think this is very important as well, you were saying, like, don't miss out on money. Because, like, like I, I, I'm pretty sure you see this as well. I see a lot of, like, black business owners, they'll say, you know, I mean, it's no, it's it's nothing wrong with uh, identifying yourself as a, as a what they call it, a, minor, a minority uh, owned yeah. business. Well, a lot of times, I will see people do things like you know, uh, this is a, I see it do it do it to their like, uh, like it doesn't help them in the end because other communities don't feel welcome. Buying from them, yeah. and it's yeah. it's only forty four million uh, black people in America as opposed to mm-hmm. what is four hundred like what is it four hundred? Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. it's like you yeah. missing out on a lot of money just catering to one particular people when they might not yeah. get necessarily even be buying from you like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what do you what do you think about this?
0: So to date the wealthiest person on earth to ever exist was Mansa Musa, right? Who was a Queen in Africa. He got that wealth by doing business with every other continent. Everybody wanted to come to Africa for trade, right? So whether it was gold, whether it was, was textiles, whether whether it was spices, uh, India came over here, the Europeans came over here, the Chinese came here, the Australians came here, uh, everybody. Everybody came in, so we got we have to readapt that same mindset. Um if you never you go to Chinatown, the signs may be written in Chinese. The, the architecture is all Chinese, but you don't see a Chinese power sign on it. You don't, you don't, you don't see no all Chinese everything signs. Right. Over it. you know what I mean? But you know, you know, once that money goes into that restaurant, it goes out to their employees and it stays in their community. It does, does not leave their community, um, and, and they welcome you in. They welcome the outside dollars in. So their pride is is not through uh, aggressive speech and, 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 and aggressive. Uh, like, I guess community statements about themselves, it's, it, it's shown through how they live. And yeah, through, yeah. Same, same thing with Hispanics. I mean, even the Europeans, man, you go to, you go to New York, there's Little Italy, right? There, there, there's Greek town and all this stuff like that in these big cities. They all do it with, we're the only ones, I feel like, that we have to announce to everybody. Yeah, announce. all black, everything.
3: Exactly. wrong with, like, you know, voicing your opinion or voice how you feel but you really do a disservice to yourself when you when you announce like yeah. your goals and like the your your uh your motives. You don't have to do that mm-hmm. as long as you action and you show like you know what I'm saying this is what it is. People can see that yeah. you don't have to say it. Exactly. They see exactly. they see what you're doing. They are like exactly. okay okay I see what it is. You don't have to when you say that it's like other people because at the end of the day, well I mean we got allies and we got uh mm-hmm. and we got and you gonna have people on the opposite side. So when you are yeah. showing your hand like that, they already yeah. they ain't got to do no homework. They already did it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I mean, you already you already laid it out for them. They ain't got to do no homework. Yep, yeah.
0: yeah. no, you're right, man. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And what we don't realize too is like I hate this narrative that we never had anything. We never had on because before desegregation we had our own every Everything. every city. Like everybody talks about Black Wall Street all the time, but man, there was so many black districts in every city because we were not allowed to patronize anything else. And man we lost a lot of that momentum that we had there when uh I guess we decided to walk through the point to white people once we went to neighborhood to patronize that establishment. We, we go spend all our money there and you know, a lot of our neighborhoods went down after that. Right. So a lot that's our own fault and we shouldn't be displacing that anger at other groups, you know, all the time because some of that was was our own doing.
3: Yep, yep, that's real, that's real. And uh, something uh, something else I want to touch on was I seen back to uh, the, on the investor side on and owning things I seen you say how you lost eighteen months of profit with one bad tenant. You were talking about the uh, rules of the rules of rentals. Do you mind uh, going yeah. into that a bit? Okay, so so when you have a rental property, you know the whole
0: rental payment. If you have a mortgage on, it's not property, right. Right. So. Uh, most, most rule, the normal rule of thumb you hear is if you're making three or four hundred a month cash flow, that's good profit for a rental property, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the course of the year that's like forty eight hundred dollars, right? So I had a tenant do like seven thousand dollars worth of damage to a property after I moved out, after I after I paid off uh, the insurance, the taxes, and everything, and then I, I kept the deposit. I was still in the host, uh like seven or six hundred thousand. So that, that wiped out the profit for a year and a half on the rental property, Damn. right? And that's the kind of things people don't think about. Um, or if you have a property where you're not in a good enough market where it takes you two months to rent it, well, let's say your mortgage payment is 1200 a month, right? Right, and it's two months you have nobody in there, so that's $2,400 you've lost, right? And then if your profit on that is 400, if when it is when your profit is 400 bucks a month, then that's technically what, six months of profit that you lose over those two months of trying to find a new tenant? hmm So it's just, that's the things that I, yeah, when my educate people on rental property, like, you know, make sure you really screen your tenant, your tenant really well. Um, if they have a bad rental history, it's for a reason. You know, I can tell people want to try to, you know, be nice and give somebody to a second chance. But I wouldn't do that until you have, like, a really hefty portfolio and stuff where you can
3: Or what is, to, to to help a couple of our listeners that may be hearing this, what do you think is the best way to screen tenants?
0: Uh, hire a professional. I work hire with realtors. professional, okay. Yeah, I mean, because some people just want to do it themselves and because they feel like they'll save that one month of rent or half a month of rent, whatever, that realtor's going to make off that transaction. But, man, I mean, having a peace of mind and knowing that, that just somebody else is working for you and they find a good quality tenant, they do the, the criminal background check, the credit check, and all that other kind of stuff, um, and maybe screen a couple of the previous uh, landlords, if you don't have time to do that, that's invaluable. You know, that that little bit of time that you say, that, that little bit of expense that you have will save you time on the back end, uh, dealing with a bad tenant, having to try to evict the tenant, all that other kind of stuff. So, okay. um, I know a lot of people like to do things themselves, man, but I'm a big proponent of leverage, leverage other people's knowledge, expertise, and time. Uh, that way, you're not, if you try to learn everything yourself, it's going to take you a lot longer to get Right.
2: Instead so of
3: working with somebody that specializes in that arena. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to touch now. I want to touch on those people that may like that may try to buy their home and look at it as all investment, as instead of pos instead of buying rentals, they'll say, "Okay, I'm gonna buy a house, live in it, and hopefully, you know, what I mean, like the uh, the value of it increases." So. What do What are your thoughts on people that think their home being an asset? Do you think a home is an asset if you live in it? If if, if you want your home to be an asset, you got to treat it like that, and if,
0: that means you, before you buy, you've chosen a neighborhood where you know the value are going up. That something big is about to happen here, right? Or the demand is so strong that it's it's going to gain equity, right? So in order for it to be an asset, that means it has to make you money. That means you got to add up. Your mortgage payment, your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance, um, your, your lawn care and everything. If you take that big bucket and the value appreciation is greater than all those expenses combined every year, technically that's an asset. If it's not, if if, if if that if that equity appreciation does not meet that number, then it's not an asset. Mm-hmm. It's losing right? mm-hmm. Um it's something that now a bank will still loan loan money on that. But I put that in the same category as like 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 taking something to the pawn shop and still have the value. You know what I mean? But it's not a true asset. It's not bringing an income every month. Right. Whereas, if you if you rent your primary residence, and you know you have a fixed cost every month for the living experience, any um, repairs, the landlord, you know, anything else goes wrong with the landlord if The taxes go up, that's the landlord's property, not yours. You know, insurance mm-hmm. goes up, same thing. Um, but then you have a rental property, then that rental property will be making you money every month, but it'll be paying the mortgage payment. Um, and the tenant will also... Be absorbing any of those uh, other costs, so you can raise the rent to cover the insurance, cover the um So, a rental property is, is much more solid of an asset than primary residence. Mm. Uh, I, I know some people that they do they do the trade up model where they will living in a house for two years in area they know the value is going up, and once they have forty, 40 grand equity, they'll sell the house. Next house, they'll take that forty that 40 the grand they made, but that is a bigger down payment. Mm-hmm. And so in like 15 years, like you got enough cash for the paper house cash. I mean, so if, if you're using your primary residence like that, that makes it an Yeah. So it's not, not like a clean black or white uh, answer, but it's only a certain scenario where it is true to
2: ask. Mm,
3: yep. And that's that's what I was going to uh, say. Ne- I was going to mention like trading up. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I know that could, that could be if you. If you mapped it out and planned it out, trading tra- no up could definitely be uh, work for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. As, long as, as
0: long as you invest that, that equity back into the next house, do not spend it. You know, that, that the model
1: works.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And, one, and one thing I wanted to bring up, because it's like, as an investor, a real estate investor, like, you don't find yourself getting, like, pretty creative um, when it comes to building your portfolio, and when, especially when it comes to finding ways to finance your portfolio, like yeah. just go to a bank or a private lender pull your money together with like people that you know but something i seen you mm-hmm. mention was seller financing being an option and i know a right. lot of people don't know what that is or understand how to go about that so do you mind like sharing, explaining the definition of seller financing and possible yeah. ways you can get it
0: so seller financing is, usually, is the the legal way for it to work is for the seller to have like not have a loan or any debt on the property and then y'all yeah, just figure out a purchase price. But instead of you paying for it all at once, you give them a down payment, and you make payments monthly until you meet whatever that purchase price is. And there's usually an interest rate associated with that. So they're making money off of, you know, the principal payments and the interest. And um, that'll put you in a position where you have ownership that's the deeds of the properties. And so, you know, now that's an asset that you have, and you don't need a bank at all to be involved. In. And usually on the finance, if they're going to ask for like ten twenty percent down. Sometimes the they won't even pull your credit. They don't care because they you know, they know like if you stop paying, they've already made twenty percent off. Take the property back. And mm-hmm. Sell to somebody else. Yeah. So that that is a very great way. Like I said, that's how I took part this whole sort of, of property have now. now. I am picking up another house right now. just has got two vacant lots attached to, attach to I'm doing the same thing. Just giving ten percent down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's a very it's a very uh Attractive way for people that have bad credit or uh, have a hard time just getting approved for the bank because of the debt to income ratio or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finding find those sellers that are going to do uh, that
1: to change the bank. Yeah. yeah, that's dope because I feel like, especially if you're going to be an investor and you invest in like low income neighborhoods or you want to revitalize your um, community, that's definitely a dope way to do it. Help them out because you know oh, yeah. they can't get the financing from the bank, so you can be that person for them to get an the opportunity.
0: Definitely, and I mean it helps them in several aspects too. Because you know they, they're not desperate for a big lump sum of money. That ten percent is a nice little, nice little ten fifteen percent is not, something nice for them to take up front. The now they have income coming in every month.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: the equivalent of being a landlord without having any of the responsibility. Because the buyer is responsible for all the and all the, the, auto repair, the auto maintenance, all type of issues. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it could be. It makes sense on both sides.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. And, and you uh bought up like a whole block, right? Uh-huh. yeah yeah so that's so I, I i definitely want to talk about that because that's like uh like i have a couple people we often talk about like purchasing the whole neighborhood and then that at that point you control like what goes on you control the price points because you own the market so you determine right. everything yeah. that goes on so what you did that was so dope and like do you mind like uh explaining that like the process of like how how did that process happen man so one of my one of my boys that
0: um, they had called me one day because he was a property manager for this company that had like, uh, like 100 rental properties. And what it was is one of their former tenants had moved up to the block that I own now, but the landlord wasn't taking care of it. And they were getting frustrated, so they were ready to leave. And so they they called my boy. My boy was just telling me, uh, Well, you know, you can move back with me. But he asked what the issue was. And so they explained this guy, I think he's on drugs, he's not able to take care of anything. So when my boy heard that, he called me and he's like, Man, no, you never done a deal this big, to be you know, something you want to look at. So uh we filed, we found out who the landlord was, the owner was, came, shut down to meet with him to meet with him. And sure enough, man, we did an owner finance deal. Um he, he took he took um the ten percent down, which was like forty five grand. I sold one of my rental properties to get forty five grand. Um, and you know, he, he had existing residents here already paying rent. So it was easy, it was no brainer for me. I'm like, well, the rents are gonna cover the, the mortgage payments. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got the block on Um Yeah, and so what I did really too, uh, to keep the income, to maximize the income was so I did, because this was like an older neighborhood, I didn't wanna put out a money and fix the housing stuff. So I went and did single room occupancy, what they call SRO housing for uh, felons. So people that get out of prison on probation, on parole, it's really hard for them to find housing. So I was renting, renting each room. To somebody for 400 bucks so a house that I could have only made 750 a month in rent, it's now making 1500 a month you know what I mean? even, even put a bed in the living room that's somebody sleeping there they were just happy to have somewhere to stay right you know and they had to keep a job they had to keep somewhere to live and they all had trades so they were all like carpenters electricians plumbers so if anything broke I just bring some guys out down they would fix it they would
3: just have to have somewhere to live that's so smart yeah, that's, that's smart, smart. <laughs> that's, that's smart Damn. that's super smart so like that's crazy so like uh like so you don't live on the block, do you?
0: No, I don't live here. Okay, no. okay. And it, it's I'm an actually here right now I can show it to you. Okay. Uh, I'm actually inside one of the one of the flips right now.
3: I'm okay. i am let me I it up. Here we go. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm actually
0: upstairs uh inside the master suite of the unit and this is like the master bath. So it's almost done. That's, that oh, that's, dope, that's,
3: dope. that's dope. That's super nice.
0: Yeah, so it's got a big walk-in (laughs) shower. (laughs) It's got got a big closet back here. Um, And so I'm actually giving these houses some pretty big backyards on this side. Damn. (laughs) Yeah, and that's downtown right there.
3: Wow. So
0: I'm 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 at the corner unit.
1: So
2: yes, yeah, so this whole
3: block it's gonna be nine more townhomes over there in the dirt, on the other side. Man, that's so dope. That's crazy, <laughs> yo. And like the, the, I know the listeners they can't see this, but this is like, uh, yeah. it's super. It, he's like, it's hooked up for real. It's super dope in the inside, huge backyard, and like y'all heard him say, downtown is like right there.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Skyline views that'll never be blocked because of the freeway.
3: Oh, it's kind of foggy, but yeah. Wow, that's amazing, yo. For real. So that's, that's, that's crazy. Like, cause like, this is a, a huge topic I feel right now with people that the, yeah. they want to, they want to do something similar. And with you already it doing it easy. and having a blueprint where you can now, I feel like now you can help people and make the process easier for people because exactly. you've already done it.
0: Exactly. Because, and, and, you know, like that's part of the problem, the reason why I started too, because it's like, I got tired of hearing people talk about gentrification and it's always a conversation. And when you have two intellectual people on both sides of debate of a debate, it, you know you can't really tell who, who's who's right. Right. You know, the only way the only way to change that is actually to do it. And then when it's done, then the people that are saying it can't be done no longer have an argument. Right. Mm. So so that was my goal. I was like, well, let me go ahead and do it, and then I can show proof instead of just talking about talking it. About it. You know, it. was a risk I was willing to take. Uh, yeah. So like, I got a contract on one unit. Um, she's like 29. Works for Shell black lady, you know what I mean. So it's possible that we can build nice stuff and attract the right type of buyers and bring stuff back to our communities. You know? That's know cool. so I, I got I got open house next weekend. hopefully I get. I had a dentist from Dallas come down and looking to buy us an investment property put it on But I got like ten or twelve people that are looking all from our community. You know, so once I do that, that's gonna solidify the deal. Just like you know, you can't argue with it. It works. It, <laughs> well, it
3: works exactly. that's you know? And so I want to ask you so before you did this process, did you have different thoughts on gentrification? Did this change some opinions or is it like you still the same? Man,
0: I always knew, I always knew, as, as being a flipper, I always knew that it was possible. It's just like, but most of us are only focused on our one little uh, silo of what we're doing, right? We going to get in, make the money, and sell it. But I was like, man, if we just become a little bit more conscious of where we get it from, uh, where we choose to, to what neighbors you choose to invest the money in and who we try to market it to uh, before it goes to MLS once it goes to MLS you can't discriminate mm-hmm. so, but I mean but you can market it and try to get the right buyer in there before public before you, you know, so, yeah. um, I, I never really I, I, I hate when we play that victim role and I think right. that's a lot of yeah and, and don't get me wrong um it's not fair. Like, a lot of things aren't fair. We haven't been treated fairly uh, in society overall. But there's no point in continuing to complain about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like like that Will Smith, like, when he first got on Instagram and it went really viral. But it's like, it's not your fault what happened to you. But it's damn sure your fault about what you do about mm-hmm. it. You know? And so it's like, from that, it's like, man, we can continue. I mean, you can sit down with a group of intellectuals, and they can tell you everything, everything. that was ever done wrong to us in deep and yeah, talk about over the, now what you gonna do about doing, it right. you know, what's the next step? what are we gonna do you know so that's why I'm with it man I mean I always knew it was possible because I mean also what I've learned what I've seen is like okay this block it was a uh, Jewish guy that actually on this block that I got it from mm. but in Baton Rouge there was a uh, I got like 20 lives right around Southern University where I went to college at but it was a black real estate uh, tycoon that had some kids that inherited a bunch of property and they were just messing it up too they're to take care of it. So it's not so much about just accumulating it. It's about passing the knowledge down mm. of what to do with it. You know? mm. um, and so I think we have, to, we have to educate ourselves on, once we get it again, how we maintain it, how we don't lose it like we did last time.
3: Facts. And yeah. I just want to say this real quick. Like What you're doing is, uh, from my point of view, it's the ep- epitome of what when people say pro-blackness. Because you know you you hear people, especially we're in the era right now on social media. You can see people saying we got the the social media activists that talk all you know, just talk all day about this and that, but they ain't really doing nothing. And you don't like you wouldn't have to say you you wouldn't have to say any of that to me. But based on your actions and what I'm seeing. I wouldn't even have to say that. I'm just saying that so the people that's listening can look, could, so yeah. they can later on down the line and see, like, okay, that's what that is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not somebody right. yeah. that's outside with a goddamn poster, you know what I'm saying, protesting, exactly. online talking shit, trying to get people to do exactly. this or that. It's people like him yeah. that's actually yeah. doing stuff mm-hmm. that's helping people. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it, 100 bro. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So that's... That's, man, that's like, that. that's amazing to me, for real, like, what you're doing. Like, that's, yeah. like, you get my get the most salutes from me, for real. <laughs> I <appreciate laughs>
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, word up. I appreciate up. it, man. But like I said, you I want
0: to create the model so everybody else can follow me, you know
3: I mean? Exactly, so exactly. We can, all, we
0: can all pull money together and
3: get this done. Exactly, man, because yeah. we we at a time right now where, at this point, I always say this. I, like like you said, it is unfair things to happen, but in, in my opinion, my viewpoint is, at this point, it's really nothing holding us back but ourselves. At this point, we at the point exactly. where we could, we we got the access, the resources, the information to do whatever we want yeah. now. Mm-hmm. There's no right. it's no excuses no more. Yeah. So when I when I see people just complaining all day, I'm like, yo, all right, I know I'm not gonna excuse my language. I know I'm not gonna fuck with you. I'm gonna leave you yeah, over there because you you got a victim mentality. Yeah. We could do yeah. whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, and it's, 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 you know, it's nothing wrong with that. I think another problem we have we want to convince everybody to get on one page instead of just taking action you know
2: exactly. what I mean mm-hmm.
0: because I mean even even when we talk about the, the foreigners you go to the nail shop there's one owner of that nail shop the rest of the the there, they're working for $12, $13 an hour so but imagine if that owner waited until everybody else wanted to be an entrepreneur and wanted to be an owner you know what I mean he wouldn't have a business mm-hmm. so, so the ones that get it we just got to get it and move
3: forward oh, with, wow. with other people
0: Benefit from
1: and not even really realizing,
3: you know, what it took, what mindset we had to get to that point. Facts, yeah. facts yeah. All
1: yeah. you need is one person to do it, and everybody else will follow suit. Exactly. They exactly. People is possible.
3: Exactly. They don't. That people exactly. don't want to. They don't care about what you're saying. They care about what you're doing. What they exactly. see. You, what, they, what they. What they see you doing. Like I was telling people yep. to invest in real estate. And some people's going out the end one there and out the other. But until I started actually investing in real estate and they seen it and yeah. seeing the results, then those people like, damn, yeah. i want to do that now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's what how, it is, yep. yep, yep. It's our familiar territory. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, that's real. Yeah. And uh, yep. something else I want to ask you about was uh, I seen that you had a kid at 16 years old. And I'm like, right. man, this is like to, to, to come this far, had a kid at 16. Because I'm pretty sure when you had that kid people probably was like, man, it's over for you. Like, man, you ruined your whole life. Like, Uh and, and, and I want you to, uh, just to, just just to speak on that, just for people that probably had a similar situation. probably, we got probably listeners that probably had kids at 18, 17, 19. And they probably feel like, man, my whole life, I can't bounce back from it. But you were a prime example. So yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's possible, bro. Um, so yeah, I got
0: my, his mom got pregnant when we were both 15 and I had just turned 16 when he was born. Um, so, it was tough. I mean, you know, I didn't make no excuses, though. I mean, I, I just worked. I had a full-time job after school, you know, so I made sure I was working to take care of him. I was always, like, a uh, ambitious, you know. So, I was, like, I was like a good kid in cool school, the class clown, clown, and I guess a teenage dad, too. You know? <laughs> but I, I, just, <laughs> I just didn't let that stop me. You know, it's like, if you determine determined to do something, you got to figure out a way to make it work, right? So, I mean, I missed a lot of stuff, like, my junior, senior year, where everybody else was going out on Fridays or after the game or at the homecoming on Saturdays and all that kind of stuff. I missed all that. But, you know, it taught me a lot of responsibility early. I think that kind of mm-hmm. put me on the, uh, the path of want to do something great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, everybody has different challenges. Everybody has something they're overcoming. Mm-hmm. And you can either let it, you know, cripple you, or you can use it as motivation to do better. Um, so, yeah, man, uh, I mean, I, I did have a good system with, you know, his mom and a my mom, too. So, you know, I, I think having family is important, you know, in, in those situations, too. I'm not, I don't think it would have been as easy if I didn't have any support or any help at all. But that's, I think that's the, the power of the, with the Black Family Network. We still mm. need to you know, support if somebody in your family is in that situation, you support them and help them move forward because you never know what they're going to do. Like, my mom hasn't had to work since um,
2: 2000. Like, mm. like, I've been taking care of her, you know. Um,
0: I'm 35 now. My son is going to be 20 this year. He's on a full academic scholarship going to the University of Houston for entrepreneurship. This an entrepreneurship, you know. That's crazy. So it's like, you know, excuses, excuses are gone,
3: you know. There's mm-hmm. <laughs> no excuse, man. Dang. So, and, that, and that's so dope, because what you're doing now, you get to pass all that down to him. So he gets to yeah. he gets to be like yeah, a part two. A of Right, but better, <laughs> like a yeah, better he was version. Like, he was like, what, eight or nine when I bought my first
0: flip, and we walked it together. So
3: he's been watching me the whole 10 years. Man, so imagine... Yeah, okay. imagine where he'll be at when he's thirty five
2: mm-hmm. right yeah,
3: so it's like and he and he could continue that on when he had kids, it'll be just like that's why I always talk like I always say like uh like we always talk about generational wealth, but I'm like it has it has to it's not gonna happen overnight like you it gotta right. be gradually built up like I was saying how yeah. like my grandparents like my grandparents they uh migrated from the uh the south to Chicago and they was the first generation yeah. in their family to do that. Then yeah, my parents yeah. was the first generation to get an education. And then me yeah. and my brothers was the first generation to go in the two parent home. So I'm like yeah. I I am like, now my kids gonna be the first generation to come from wealth, to come from money. So exactly. like it's yeah. continuously yeah. building. Even if you feel like what 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 they left for you wasn't enough, if they left yeah. you like a foundation, it's on you to That's build right. build on top of that. Exactly. So you pass the rock down. That's it. Yeah. Yep. That's it, bro. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh That's I, it. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I only got like a couple more questions for you. Another thing, I, I seen you um, talk on. You said, and this was something I-, I didn't even know about this. You said like you can roll over your four hundred one k money to a self directed IRA, self directed IRA account with no penalty. And I'm like, oh, oh, snap! I'm like, I don't think a lot of people know that. So do you mind talking yeah. a little bit? Yeah, okay. So what everybody really knows about is the four hundred one
0: k which is something that was kind of structured by the government to, to make sure that everybody is completely dependent on social security and stuff when they get old. So that they, you know, they give you these tax breaks, put this money into these retirement accounts, and then it's managed by a third party. So these investments, like Vanguard, you know, those types of groups, uh, they, they, they usually have like these these different risk models, but everything that they have that they can invest your money in is a stock or a bond or a CD. And... They they get management fees off of that money, so they get that two to three percent uh a year for managing money. Whether you make money or lose money, you know, they get that two to three percent for managing, for moving the money around basically. Uh the other option is when you do a self a self-directed uh IRA, an individual retirement account, which uh, is not restricted to, to those investment vehicles. You can invest in any asset. So if if you no longer work for an employer, you can roll your money over from that old 401k. To a self-directed IRA, and and then basically a third party will invest in whatever you sell them to invest. In. They they distribute the money for you. So mm-hmm. that could be it can be a business, it could be uh, real estate. You can you can just loan money and uh, and just uh, collect interest on that money and get that money back. The only the only thing that you have to do is make sure that all of the profits associated with it go back into the IRA. So you still can't take the money out personally. You know I mean mm. but there are, there are specific ways where if you create a separate LLC uh, then your IRA can't land to that LLC you know and if, yeah, but you have to have like a certain interest rate that you're paying, that LLC, that you're paying your IRA back and so let's say let's say the IRA gets 20% of the deal then they have to get 20% of the property back to the IRA the other agency and go to you you know um, but it has a way can kind of self, self-fund uh, projects but um, so what I'm doing right now I have uh, one investor put in on my project, she's actually my uh the CFO for the project. But she had a quarter of a million dollars in the whole retirement account from share. but so she put that in the center of the IRA, and we use that like got some money tools in the bank, using it for carrying costs, using interest payments on the development funding, you know, and all that. And she's getting a return on that money at the end of the project. Mm. So that's another way that. just loan somebody money even if you know, they're starting a business but they don't have an asset. it's more risky i wouldn't recommend that um i would suggest people start if they're going to do that to invest with someone that already has a proven track record of success with whatever they're doing uh, And put your money in there versus you know, taking a bet on somebody that's just getting started
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So i guess
0: perfectly
3: legal. damn see i don't know that that's crazy yeah i'm pretty sure yep. that's, <laughs> that's yep. crazy. And uh, so I've only got, uh, like, a couple more questions for you. And one, because I know you do uh, entrepreneurship coaching. And I was going to ask, like, what is that details. And I also was going to ask, what is an entrepreneur to you? What does entrepreneur mean to you?
0: An entrepreneur is somebody that decides to create some type of vehicle that's going to bring in uh, revenue and profits for them and bring in income for them. It could be part-time, it could be full time um, but any type of business, anything that you're doing where you know you are creating something that uh, makes money for you without you having to work, there, um, I consider that true entrepreneurship. I mean, a, a working professional can be entrepreneur if they turn their profession into a business. You know, um, like it's different between a doctor working in the hospital, a doctor having their own practice, and having other people for them. Mm. Uh, so that, that's that definition of entrepreneurship to me. It's very broad. Uh, real estate investors, wholesalers, all borrow and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, any, anybody that has this type of service business this, entrepreneur. Mm, okay, okay. Yes. And mm. so what I do is, I've been, like a lot of people just don't know where to start or what to do when it comes to entrepreneurship. So I try to help people like think outside the box of what type of business to start. Because I think most of us, if we come from basically a working background. We're not exposed to business. And so the, the things that we gravitate to and what we see everybody up there online, everybody wants to start clothing too, it. Or a lot of women want to you know, sell hair or they want to be a petition or something like that. But literally everything else that's, that, that's a part of life is a business. Somebody owns that business. Every day when you drive to work, every building you pass, that's a business that somebody owns. And if you have a corporate job or any type of job where an employee is being, that means that that's a service that that business needs and that you can find another business that can utilize your services but doesn't want to hire you as an employee. You can become a, like a contract consultant
3: for them. And that's one of things that I, I recommend people start because it doesn't take a lot of overhead. It does take a lot of investment product inventory. It's just you, you I'll get you out of yep. And so I can find out how to, how to charge somebody for it. Yep, yep. Yeah. yep. That's, that's yeah. dope, that's dope. And uh, yeah. the last question that I got, and you got some more, you got some else? You can go ahead. Yeah, the last question I got, and we ask all our guests this is, Do you feel as if you have an obligation to the community, and not just finances or monetary anything like that, but as far as information, giving back access to resources, time, do you feel like you have an obligation to do that? Because the things you're doing, you don't have to do that What you're giving back game, you don't have to do that. So is that like an obligation to you? Uh, For me it is, but that's just a personal preference. I mean, I'm not mad at somebody that's out getting their own money, you know, building something for their own family. It's not in everybody's nature to be a giver and to be a teacher, right? You
0: know, or be a leader. Right. Some people are just self performers, so I can respect that too. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not it's not worth my time or energy trying to convince them to do something different. You know, um, I, I just don't like people that do the reverse and take from the community in order to gain for themselves. You know, but as long as you're not doing that, I, mean, I think everybody has a position to play. Everybody has a role. Mm. Yeah, yes. but I, I do feel like it's important. I feel like it's needed, and I'm definitely going to do my part. And I, I gravitate to.
3: And I hang around the people that do, be the people do the same. I just I just I'm I do not have anything against the people that don't. All you know? right, all right, okay, okay. Right. Yes. And and that and that was uh you had you had anything else? Mm-hmm. And that was my last qu- question. But before we let you go, I just want to say I definitely like we both definitely appreciate you taking the time out your day to do this. Man chop up some game with us. Like we, we really, really appreciate it, man, for real. And uh no Yeah, definitely. But before we let you go, do you mind plugging in all your like info where people can find you if they want to contact you, yeah. coaching and all that,
0: yeah. So, the easiest way is my, my website, is just my name, chrissenegal.com. Um, my Instagram is my main social media platform, so it's underscore I-N-V-S-T-R underscore I-N-V-S-T-R. So, it's like the both of, of the balance. Um, but that's the two easy way to get to, get to me because you go to my website, chrissenegal.com, it's got links to everything if you want to
3: consultations, if you want to go to uh, entrepreneurship school to see what I have in there. You'll find my link there or my uh you know my Instagram, everything's there. Okay, cool, cool. Well we appreciate you bro. And mm-hmm. uh and like I like we you definitely got our support with anything and you as you already know we got we got things uh yes, are cooking up. Yeah, we got things that we cooking up that's that's on the way. Yeah. But yeah, but like I said, we, that's all we got for you, bro. I appreciate you for real, okay. man.
0: Likewise man, I appreciate that, invite. Yep, talk to you soon, bro.
3: Yes, sir. But well, that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast with Chris Senegal. Like he said, uh, you guys have his information if you want to reach out to him. And I feel like that was another super dope, valuable episode. I'm glad we was able to bring him on drop some gems. And before we get uh, in the episode, I just want to say for those who don't know, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. And uh, Deanna, she's going to give you her info as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Deanna
1: Kent. And Twitter is Deanna's Kent. And if you are in need of a consultation for real estate investing, you can contact us at www.parkhillconsultantservices.com.
2: And
3: that's pretty much all we have for y'all. Appreciate y'all listening to this episode. See y'all next episode. Peace. On the way to the big check. You ain't know I'm up next, but I'm on the way. You ain't take your risk because you're too afraid. I'm going to just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. Oh, a lot of shit on the way. On the way.